This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Oh, I have got another girl, another girl making me say that I've got nobody but you. But as from today, well, I've got somebody. Many of you have seen the episode of Carpool Karaoke that went online this week with Paul McCartney. Now, some of you don't know what Carpool Karaoke is. That's fine. You're some of the few who haven't seen this, obviously. But I suspect that many of you have because this video, this show, it's a 23-minute episode, has been viewed over 80 million times since Thursday when it was put on the Internet. If you didn't see it, after we're done... Make a point of going and watching it. You really should. It's wonderful. Paul McCartney and late night TV host James Corden drive around Liverpool singing Beatles songs, visiting McCartney's childhood home, driving by Penny Lane, going to the barber shop on Penny Lane that's talked about in the song, all that kind of stuff. Then as the capper to the whole thing, as the exclamation point, they go to a pub where the Beatles used to play when they were on their way up, when they could, when they were looking for any possible gig they could get. And as a surprise to the patrons, to the customers who are in this pub, who have no idea what's about to happen, there is a spontaneous Paul McCartney concert. Some lady goes up and presses a button on a jukebox that has Beatles songs on it. And all of a sudden these curtains open and there's Paul McCartney and his band singing. And the look on the people's faces is outstanding. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have given almost any amount of money to be there, to be one of those people who was sitting in the pub that day. There were 50 or so of them that were there. Well, you know what? My next guest was in the pub that day. Talk about one of the people who won the musical lottery. Uh, He posted on Facebook after it was over this line, Paul McCartney today playing a tiny gig in the Philharmonic pub for 50-odd people, the ultimate thing to have seen. His name is Mike Smith. He's from Liverpool, and he's part of a band out there, too, called Joe Mary. He joins me now. Mike, thanks for doing this today. Hello, fellow. You all right? Everything is great, although I must tell you, I am exceedingly envious of you for this. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, don't be. It's wonderful. How many people have told you that very thing since you told everybody that you were there? Seven. Seven, just seven, seven people have told you yeah, they're envious. Yeah, yeah. That's it, eh? Honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The show was on TV last week, but this happened quite a bit earlier, right? This was earlier this month that it was actually recorded? Yeah, it was uh, two weeks ago, sir. It was one day, it was, yeah, it was great. So how did you happen to end up there on that particular day? I just um I just I just heard about the gig and got the bus over. Um and then my friend my friend my friend Jamie Roberts from the Wild Fruit Art Collective uh, gave me a text. And um I saw the last four songs. Okay, and so was it how did you know that the gig was on? Was it people texting it I out? I saw it, I just saw it on the social media. That it was going to be Paul McCartney? No, no, that he was playing and I, I only caught the last four songs, you see. It was all the main social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was, so it was, I, because the, the show made it appear that nobody knew that it was going to be Paul McCartney. So basically, yeah, so he he appeared and like and surprised everyone. And then a crowd gathered outside because they could hear him singing. So then um, I got the bus down and then they just saw, they just let me in the in the door, you know what I mean? I cried. <laughs> how, how long was it after you heard it before you could get there? Do you live far from there? So I, I live about half an hour away and then a 10-minute run from the bus stop. 
So it was a long so concert I then. I ran, ran, ran. Yeah, yeah. It must have been going on for a good, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. The pictures that you posted on social media uh, certainly make it look like you were able to get in there, though, and be only about 10 feet away from him while he was singing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was stood right there. Yeah, I know all the bouncers around Liverpool, you see. So they, they, they just sort of got me in there. And, um, yeah, he, he just let me in there. Like, and, uh, he was there in front of me, a meter in front of me, yeah. Tell me about the place, because most of the people who are listening right now uh, so, in Canada don't yeah, yeah. know Liverpool well. So, is this a hugely popular pub? So yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the, the pub's called the uh, the Royal Philharmonic Pub, and it's uh, it's famous within Liverpool. It's true. It's got it's got Grade One listed men's toilet. So it's got the uh, the only toilets in Liverpool where if girls come to the venue, they can ask to see the toilets, and the uh, the barman will let them see it. <laughs> They're made of marble. As you are, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. We have to ask. We, they do have to ask, yes, but uh, they take them in. They're uh, they're like marble, marble urinals from like head to toe. There, it's a it's a real special venue. Like now, when massive, the when the concert started, and sorry for the delay here. We have while we're chatting is a second or two delay. But when the concert started, it looked like there were I don't know twenty five or thirty people. Would that be a typical crowd there at that time of day? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was there would have been like about twenty, thirty people drinking there on a Saturday. On a Saturday, like. Did you know beforehand about the, when they were explaining that the Beatles had played there as young guys coming up, did you know about that history with the band there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a Beatles historian, you know what I mean? As, as is everyone who lives in Liverpool. Is the is that close to <laughs> the other locations? Is it close to his house? Is it well, close to Penny Lane? Is Are was, all those things close? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And it, it was it was it was all put together by like a little record label in Liverpool called Eggy Records. Okay, so he he starts playing it. T- now he's playing, as I say, for long enough that you can get a half hour bus ride and then a ten minute run to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Honestly, he's just, when he's yeah. playing, is it just is he just doing a concert, or is there a lot of stuff going on for the TV that we that was edited out so, that we didn't see? There was there was two cameras, and then um, there was there was there was stuff. Giving everyone cups of tea, cups of coffee, um, bits of bits of you know pints pint of beer. The Eggman was there as well from the Iron the Walrus. You know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. Penny Scott Radley's show on 900 CHML. We're chatting about this. The Paul McCartney, the Carpool Karaoke video that 85, something like that, million people have already seen since it went online last week. You have probably seen it. If you haven't, you will. You should. Mike Smith, who joins us from Liverpool, was one of the lucky guys who was able to be in the pub for that. He is, as I say, he's from Liverpool. He's a member of a band from Liverpool, which is always a good thing, and they're called Joe Mary. Uh, Mike, you, how old a, a, a man are you? Because you say you're a Beatles historian. How old a guy are you? I'm, I'm 21, mate. So that is very young because you were not even born when the Beatles were at their heyday. Um, well, no, no. I don't even remember George Harrison dying, mate. Um, but, you know, it's just I'm a pure fan. Have you ever seen Paul McCartney play live before? Never, never. Well, I've seen him once. Like, Well, now. Well, yeah, now. N- yeah. Now. But, the Philharmonic. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say, was this something though to see him play his Beatles stuff? Was this something that had been on the wish list for you? Well, yeah. My original plan to meet him was to break into Lipper when he was there, and then just you know go up to him and speak to him and just you know tell him how much I loved him. But now I don't have to do that anymore. It was written in the stars that I got to see this gig. But then Eggy Records fortunately put on this event. Yeah, yeah, and. You know they organized it, and it was it was meant to be. You um, were you aware now when you get there? Did you know what was being filmed? Did you did you know about carpool so karaoke? I knew, I knew, I knew because the main side is Eggy Records, like said to me. So I just got straight on the bus, got and um, I just because I know all you know the bouncers, the doormen, yep. I know yep. all of them. So they just they got me straight in there. And when you Honestly, walk. Like, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. You go ahead, sir. Well, when you walk in the door, even though you'd heard it was him, do you still, do you so your eyes sort of wide open so, when you walk in, um, it really I got, is? I got the biggest adrenaline rush of my life, um, and I started shaking, sweating. <laughs> my whole my whole, my whole, whole clothes were soaking in sweat. So I went and got a beer. Did you, I'm sure you've watched the clip then. I'm sure you've seen it. Have you seen yourself on there? Do you appear on there? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the one in the stripy shirt, mate, who's shaking. Yeah, All right. Yeah. When you're there, uh, you're into the music, I know, and you're there for four songs, but are you just dying to tell people what's going on outside through text or whatever else? Well, yeah, I, I, I belled me dad like, and, and I just I just put the pump, just let him listen. It is um, one of the things that really came across in that show that was that was on TV, the carpool karaoke is. Uh, we could see that there were people in the in the concert that were crying. It was a very emotional thing for a lot of people. Was it emotional yeah, for you? It was. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, I, I started crying myself. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Of course. And um, I'm an emotional guy. You know, I did. So when it you was, it was all thanks to Aggie Records. Okay, and when you get when it's done and when you leave there, how quickly is it that you do start getting in touch with people saying you are not going to believe what just happened? Well, you know. 30 seconds after the gig ended I whacked it on my Twitter and then a minute later I put it on my Facebook and then two minutes later I uploaded some Instagram photos it is instantly yeah well uh, he was uh, Paul McCartney played here where we're calling you from in Hamilton Canada about two years ago and I got to go see that I gotta tell you though you upped me by about a million percent and all the rest of the people here who saw this you know what it's um, it's it's just a weird thing like it um I just love the Beatles so much, and it, it was it was sort of the the rules of attraction, I call it. You sent on Facebook that this was the ultimate thing to have seen. What are you going to do to top this? Well, do you know what? All I've got left now is to have some kids, and that's it. You know, that's <laughs> the only thing that can top it. And and Eggy uh, Records. And, um, and Eggy Records. Eggy Records, yeah, the and record label I work at, and um, I'm going to take that to top of the world next, I believe. Well, and your band. Oh, it's like, no, so our band, our band owns a record label called Eggy Records. We have uh, Jay Mary, Beja Flow, the Wild Fruit Art Collective, I Saw and the Jinx. Uh, and uh, we're going to eventually take that to the level of Beatles, I think. Hopefully. Well, l- let us hope that is the case. And I wish you all the best with it. Again, the band is Joe Mary. You can look them up online. You can see their stuff and hear them. Uh, Mike Smith, yeah. who uh, lucked out and was able to be there, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Hey, mate, it's all right. We're all, we're all out in Liverpool having a good time, bro. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thank you, bro. 
You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. So earlier today, Hockey Hall of Fame, as they do every year, announced their class of 2018. And I woke up this morning thinking, oh, this is the day I've got to write the article about how it is that Dave Anderchuk did not get into the Hall of Fame. And then I remembered, oh no, last year, finally, after all these years, Dave Anderchuk finally made it into the Hall of Fame. We don't have to write that. So thank goodness for that. Thank goodness that Dave Anderchuk is finally in, deservedly so. A year ago, it took about, I don't know how many years he was eligible that they kept bypassing him undeservedly. He's finally in. He should be in. He is in. Hamilton guy. So we can leave that one alone now. That's taken care of. The next guy on the list who should be in the Hall of Fame, not a Hamilton guy, but there is somebody else who absolutely, 100%, should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame under the builder category, probably, not under the player category, certainly. Under the builder category, there is someone else who should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That would be Don Cherry. How in the world Don Cherry is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame is an absolute mystery. There is nobody who is more tied to hockey, more famous. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame, more famous, more closely connected to hockey. How he has been overlooked all this time makes no sense and shows, quite frankly, that many of the voters probably have a bone to pick with him because they don't like his politics or don't like his point of view, but that's not supposed to be the issue. But that's an argument for another day. Yet, making the Hall of Fame today, getting the vote in the builder category, in addition to Willie O'Ree, now Willie O'Ree as a builder, Willie O'Ree was the first African-American, first black man to play in the NHL, went on to be a coach, went on to be very involved with hockey in the Boston area and in the States. As a builder, Willie O'Ree is an excellent candidate. Glad that he got in. Wouldn't I would not have voted for him as a player, but he got in as a builder. That's great. As a player, it was Martin Brodeur, Martin Saint-Louis, Alexander Yakushev from the old Soviet teams, and Jaina Hefford, a female player from Team Canada. All good choices. But in the builder category, they once again bypass Don Cherry. And who do they take? Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman, the current ongoing commissioner of the league. He's still working as the commissioner. He goes in as a builder. And I'm sorry, my cynicism just ran rampant. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Bubba O'Neill joins me now. Uh, sir, did you share that? Or are you looking at Gary Bettman going into the Hall of Fame saying, way to go, sir, well earned? Well, I mean, it, it it is well earned if you look at the you know if you take the sort of fandom out of it and you look at the growth of the National Hockey League. I mean, he has done, or at least been at the leadership uh, of you know quite honestly the biggest explosion of NHL hockey that you know the league has ever seen. Quite honestly, I I, I don't even have an issue with what you just said because he has led to great growth for better or for worse, in many cases for better. I'm not arguing that Gary Bettman has done everything wrong by any stretch at all. I just don't think that a guy who is the active commissioner should be getting this. This is something that happens after you retire. So that's how it works with players. That's generally how it works with builders. You're done, and then you get this nod. He should be on his way out when he says, I am now collecting my pension. That's when he should get this. And I agree with that. That's what I definitely do agree with. I think that's something, you know, as I kind of said on my newscast on CHH tonight, that it's a crowning achievement for, you know, uh, an athlete at the conclusion of their career. 
And uh, to me, I think there was lots of time for Gary Bettman to get this award. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many people were bypassed. And I know you named one, the famous player and a famous head coach and, you know, and a, and a former player in Don Cherry. Um, I, I, won't, I won't go as far as to pick someone, but um, I, I, I was definitely um, taken by surprise by the timing of this. And um, that's what I that's what I'm surprised at. I don't know if. He owes someone owes him something, or well. Here, here's know. the here's the issue with this is that we remember having this discussion. I think you and I had this discussion. Maybe not. Maybe it was just off in private. I don't remember. But the Hall of Fame, for reasons that I can't understand, they always came across to me as entirely petty and, quite frankly, mean spirited. When Pat Burns was dying of cancer, and they knew he was going to go into the Hall of Fame. They did not elect him in time that he could get that honor while he was alive, which I always found to be a miserable, curmudgeonly thing that they did. And the same with Pat Quinn. And yet Gary Bettman, who, as you say, has loads of time to enjoy this later on, presumably, we have to rush to get him into the Hall of Fame. I don't understand it. Yeah, and and that's what, to me, is, is, is the big surprise here. And, and you know... Uh, I mean, your immediate thought is, you know, because, I mean, every time Gary is in a public place uh, speaking on behalf of the National Hockey League and there are fans, he generally does get booed. Um, I guess that can't happen when he goes to the, you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Right? You know, that's, <laughs> that's not going to certainly happen. But Wayne Gretzky's uh, not going to stand up and boo? Well, that's not going to happen there. But you, you, I'm going to be pretty honest in saying this that when they have that Hockey Hall of Fame night where everyone's uh, on that Saturday night where everyone's introduced at the, well, I guess it's not the Air Canada Centre anymore, at Scotiabank Centre or whatever they're calling it right now, um, for the Hockey Hall of Fame night or the Hockey Hall of Fame game, when they introduce everyone to the crowd at, uh, at, at, like, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be an uncomfortable moment. And, you know, what, what makes me even go further into the fact that this is something that he should get at the end of his career, you you would believe, and I think for many of us, uh, media, fans alike, that had he received this honor after his career was done and there was a new commissioner in place, that would probably make us think twice about booing. You would actually be able to sit back and say, you know what, he did do some incredible things in terms of growth of the league, uh, you know, finances for the league, uh, the increase of salaries for players under his leadership. You would have get to appreciate that, and I think the booze would be much less, and it would be much more of a polite applause. Well, look at look at every big time political leader that is polarizing when they are in office. When they leave, generally. Much of the hatred that has been pointed towards them fades a little bit. Bill Clinton had his his fans and his detractors. Bill Clinton, nobody boos Bill Clinton now. George Bush, who many people had strong opinions on, that has faded. Stephen Harper, in a lot of cases, has faded. Pierre Trudeau has faded. It's the same thing with Gary Bettman. You're you're exactly right. If you allow some time to pass, maybe some people's strong opinions can fade a little, and he could have this happen. The other thing, Bubba, though, is this. And I'm not arguing that Gary Bettman is going to do something. I'm not suggesting for a second he's going to do something illegal or immoral or anything like that. But the Hall of Fame already has had cases, Alan Eagleson being a famous one, where they had to pull someone out because of something that happened later. I'm not sure 
that this is a, that you want to be putting people in while they are still in the midst of their career just to protect yourself against something like that. I'm not saying Gary Bettman's going to go kill someone, not by any stretch, but it not putting him in until he's done protects you against that kind of thing. You know, the Hall of Fame are generally very, very quiet, and uh, not a lot gets out of that room about reasons why people were voted in and out. But I would have to believe, you know, especially with the way society is with social media and insiders and that kind of stuff, that there will be someone or something that leaks out onto why this this happened here and why it happened for 2018. Because, uh, like I said, I think that was something that was kind of shocking to me. And, you know, basically, when I talked to a lot of people in the newsroom today about it, I mean, obviously, the first thought was a lot of people were of the mindset that Willie Reed, they were surprised that he wasn't in already as a builder. Mm. Um, that what what was all of a sudden the rush, you know, what, what happened, what happened that all of a sudden, you know, an award was named after him, as we saw at the NHL Awards this year that was given to the head coach of the Humboldt Broncos. Um, why all of a sudden the acknowledgement now, after many, many years of wondering, you know, well, every sport has sort of celebrated its first African-American, you know, groundbreaking athlete. Uh, and the second, you know, concern was Gary Bettman's a Hall of Famer. Well, and Gary Bettman, here's the problem I have in addition to all else with Gary Bettman being a Hall of Famer right now. And again, not not down the road. That's a discussion for another day that uh, I think there's a valid case to be made for that. If you are Willie O'Ree, if you are Martin Brodeur, if you're Marty St. Louis, if you're um, uh, Jenna Hefford, if you are uh, Alexander Yakushev, Right now, because of how polarizing Gary Bettman is, he sucks up all the oxygen in the room. This Hall of Fame, rather than being about them, becomes the Gary Bettman Hall of Fame induction. I don't think it's fair to them. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that's handled, uh, Scott. And, and you know, I, I know all of a sudden now I'm looking forward to the Ron McLean interview with him. You know, those two, <laughs> those two have had a sort of heated, you know, past, you know, where, you know, even in in the best of times, you know, where both are doing their jobs, there's been some type of friction between the two um, that sometimes, you know, over the years has turned out to be entertaining television, but uh, I, I don't know. Like well, I said, you... I'm looking forward to, to the point where at some point one journalist or one voter speaks out on why this happened. I, I, you bring up, and we I mentioned Don Cherry off the top, but you mentioned Ron McClain. Look, I, I go back to that, though is that if this is the Hockey Hall of Fame and you're talking about people who are builders, and what is a builder? I mean, it's someone who has drawn attention, who has brought, um, uh, who has built up the game through one way or another. How is Gary Bettman in there now and Don Cherry and Ron McLean not? Because you can make every argument you want that they have built up the game by having people talk about the game, by having people discuss it around the water cooler. They are as much... They have done that as much as anybody else in this sport, and well, they are sitting on the well, sidelines. Well, think about it. I mean, the segment has has you know passed the test of time, right? I mean, this think about it. Coach's corner, you know, and and, and I and I can speak I can speak to this because I you know I worked at you know Sportsnet for for eleven years, and I I watched their development of the hockey panel, right, uh, in its early days, um, which has become the norm now for not just hockey, but all sports. You know, everyone's got to have a panel where everyone discusses things and controversial gets, things get talked about and highlights are broken down, discussed and ripped apart. The first real segment for the sport of hockey that did that was Coach's Corner. Uh-huh. 
right? Yep. And, and and it was an opinion, and a person that had a, a an incredible abil- ability to sort of draw attention to himself, you know, talk about himself, talk about his experiences, um, be critical or passionate about players was Don Cherry. And, 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 and not only that, but cause people the next day or later that day to talk about what he talked about. Well, and, and, and you and I know this from being in media, that you've done your job when you have created water cooler conversation. Any, any time, and you as a columnist, uh, me as a, as, as a guy that speaks on television, that sometimes says, you know, things that I feel, when you create water cooler, you know, discussion... You've done your job as anyone in media. And Don Cherry is the first person that I have ever heard say this saying that, you know what, I think many people live by. I don't know if I do, but, but there is some validity to it. That, you know what, 50% of the people love me, 50% of the people hate me, but 100% of the people watch me. 100%. And, and that's, he's right. He's right. And, and if you're a hockey exec, if you're a television or an NHL executive, is that not the prime directive? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, it, provided that it's within the confines of not doing something that is so ridiculous or illegal, which they don't, I mean, obviously not. You don't want to do some, getting people to watch you. I'm, I'm not of the opinion that anything is good, but the way they're doing it and what they do, yes, what they do, getting eyeballs is the point and getting people talking is the point. And so, yeah, I, I look, I, it, Gary Bettman could have been in there just not yet. Just not yet. I think I think he now becomes the story. I think it takes away from the other players, and I think it highlights a lot of other people in the game who who have done amazing things as far as drawing attention and discussion for the game who are now sitting on the outside. And I think it now puts pressure on this panel to say, look, if he's in, we got a bunch of other people. we got to get in quick. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun as I talk about these hockey panels. I'm sure that's going to be discussion on a lot of the 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock uh, newscasts, or sportscasts tonight, is, you know, opinions of what people think about this. Um, because, like I said, I, do I think he's a Hall of Famer? Do I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame as, as a builder? I totally agree. Ultimately, I, I, yes. I, ultimately, I, sure. Ultimately, absolutely. But as I said... And, and I, I will continue. This is this would be like putting in. I, I you know some would say they made a little bit of a mistake by you know waiving the five year period to get you know Mary Lemieux in there, and that's a whole different conversation. But you know why is there not a waiting period for for Gary Bettman? I, I, I'm with you. All right, I want to take a few minutes here to do one other topic to talk about one other thing because uh, Ricky Ray. Quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts, we saw that on the weekend suffered a reasonable, now a reasonably serious injury. It, it appears that it's not going to be life altering. It was a neck injury. It doesn't appear from what we're hearing that it's going to be life altering. Thankfully, uh, but it may have a well. This could be it for him. I mean, he's an older guy, football wise, and he may look at this and say, "I don't need this anymore. I've got all my Grey Cups and my records and my MVPs and all the rest." I'm I don't need to run the risk of ending up paralyzed in a football game. So, should, for the betterment of the Canadian Football League, should the Hamilton Tiger Cats turn around and trade Johnny Manziel to the (laughs) Toronto Argonauts so that the guy who is drawing the most attention in the league, despite not playing a down, can play in the biggest and most needy market in the league to make this league better? Should they do that? Because it's clear they're not playing him now behind uh, behind um, Jeremiah Mazzoli. 
well, I mean, here's the thing. Jeremiah Vasoli, his standard of play has been so outstanding at this point. And quite honestly, since the hiring of June Jones, he has been arguably, along with Mike Riley, the best quarterback in the Canadian Football League. And at this point, coming out of, you know, coming out of camp is for the first time as the number one guy, I see no time for Jeremiah Masoli to be benched. Um, with his play. I only see an improvement. I think his game is continuing to evolve. And at this point, uh, I do agree with you. I just don't know when Johnny Manziel will get to enjoy any playing time of, you know, meaningful playing time other than some garbage time if Tiger Cats are well ahead in football games. Um, and, and I don't know if that's what he came here for. And I'm sure that so far that Johnny Manziel has been an unbelievable teammate. He has supported Jeremiah Masoli, but like any competitor, he wants to play, and he came north to play. And if there's an opportunity for the Tiger Cats to make this move that you know that you know that that you're discussing, you say, like why wouldn't they? Um, well, I you, mean, you're you helping can, your opponent, but well, you're helping. But let's be honest here. What's good? A, 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 that's a good trade for the CFL. Yes, that's what and it's that's about. That's a good trade for TSN. I could count. None of us could, I think we could, it's, un, it, it, it's unending how many times, even though Jeremiah Masoli was unbelievable in Edmonton, even though he's a CFL top performer of the week, if you turn on TSN today, who are the broadcasters of the league, there's Johnny Manziel News. Yep. Right? Yep. So, and, he, and, and, and Johnny hasn't thrown a pass this year. Right? He hasn't played since preseason. And uh, I'm told with good authority, that there are people at TSN that are to filter, to continue to filter the Manziel pipeline on a daily basis. And that's why for the first time in maybe the history of, C- of TSN, we are getting daily reports out of that network from, about the Hamilton Tiger Cats. This has never happened before. If, right. if, I'm, if I'm the network that is covering, if I'm TSN covering this league, I desperately want Johnny Manziel throwing footballs rather than holding a clipboard. It is it is guaranteed that if he is playing for the Argos, whether he wins or is horrible, it matters not. If he wins, people are going to tune in because if he's winning, he's probably doing something yeah. spectacular and you're saying, oh, i got to watch that. If he's losing, people who hate Johnny Manziel are going to tune in to watch the car wreck. Either way, people are going to watch that thing. People are going to watch in the States because here's the thing. If the Hamilton Tiger Cats were to trade him, that makes news everywhere because not only is he being traded, but he's being traded to what? The big city of Toronto. That needs something like this. That needs something like this. But I'm also looking outside of the Toronto spectrum that around the country, he's getting traded to the big city, the big smoke. And these stations like ESPN were like, whoa, now he's in Toronto. And the starting quarterback there is injured and his career and I would have to believe that if you're Eric Tillman making a, a deal like this that we're, you know, we're throwing out here like, a, you know, like just some kind of made-up trade, that you would be asking for James Franklin back, who is going to be their starting quarterback right sure. now. Because you, you're going to need a quarterback to, to back. And their first-round draft pick next year. For sure. And also remember, the man who pulled the trigger on the Ricky Ray deal out of Edmonton, at no time was it expected that Ricky Ray would be traded from the Edmonton Eskimos to, the, at the time, the sad sack Toronto Argonauts previous to the 100th Grey Cup. It was a good trade for the Argonauts, 
it wasn't such a great – I mean, they, they re- reduced some money off the salary cap. They got a quarterback in Steven Giles, a punter, and a, Canadian dra- a high Canadian draft pick for Ricky Ray. The Edmonton Eskimos, I'm not sure if they really benefited from that. The Argos certainly did, and the Canadian Football League did at the time of that trade. And Johnny Manziel in Toronto, even though I would like to see him play as a Hamilton Tiger Cat, but I think for the network, for the league, for exposure – for conversation, can you tell me what on earth the hype for Labor Day if he's the quarterback of the Argonauts? If I am CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, I am calling up Eric Tillman, I am taking him out, I am getting him completely liquored up so that he doesn't even know what end is up. And I'm having a trade document placed in front of him and he thinks he's signing the bill for the drinks afterwards and he makes that trade. And the next morning he wakes up and goes, sorry, I did what? I am making sure somehow that you're exactly right. I am making sure that Johnny Manziel is in a Toronto Argonaut uniform for Labor Day. And again, some people who are Ticat fans are saying, why do you want to help the Argos? And I'll tell you the reason, and you've alluded to it, Bubba. It's not a competitive thing. Yes, it may be detrimental to help the Argos if Johnny Manziel really is a quarterback who can play in this league. But this league is vastly better if there is a competitive Toronto Argonaut team that has interest in the city and if the people in Toronto care about the rivalry. It's not a rivalry when only Hamilton cares about it and Toronto goes, what, sorry, there's a team? You To have a rivalry, both sides have to care. And if you put Johnny Manziel there, people in Toronto who basically have tuned out the Argos may still tune out the Argos, but they won't tune out Johnny Manziel. They will nope, watch those will games. Not. They will not. They will totally watch. There will be unbelievable interest. And like I said, that, that, will, that will set up for the, the most hype Labor Day matchup uh, that we've had in years. Yeah, and, that, and maybe for a few years. Like Johnny Mantell, who was picked up, who was a property of the Tiger Cats, who got traded to Toronto, is now the starting quarterback in Toronto. And especially if the teams are you know, you know, close on the stand. I don't even think that would matter. But, if, I mean, it would be unbelievable. And now let's, uh, we got only 30 seconds here, but just go back for a second. Cause when I said that you would be helping your opponent, if you are the tie cat, so why would you do that? That's not even necessarily true because if the Argos are totally desperate for a quarterback, you could really take a chunk out of them because also knowing how important they also realize this is a business thing. This is about selling seats. Uh, you could get, I'm sure a fair chunk back for a guy who has never thrown a single pass in a regular season game. You could do okay to bolster your own team. Absolutely. And I say that with all due respect to James Franklin, who was acquired, you know, as probably the best starting, the best backup quarterback that needed an opportunity to start, um, at, you know, and now he's going to get it with the Toronto Argonauts. So there's going to be unbelievable scrutiny. I mean, they have a bye week, and then they play, I can believe, the Montreal Alouettes next week. There's going to be unbelievable eyes and scrutiny on this guy to play well, and if he doesn't, there's going to be a lot of talking. Yeah, let's uh, let's leave with this. If after the bye week they come back and they play and Franklin does not play well, how loud are the screams for this to actually happen? No, I, I think it's going to be, because like I said, I, unless... Jeremiah Masoli goes cold, which or I don't gets hurt. Yeah, well, which or we don't want. Hurt. Yeah, I don't. I, but even if he gets hurt, then there's some protection. But like I said, uh, the Ticats are in the total driver's seat. They don't have to do anything. But I'm just saying. <laughs>
I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm sure Randy Ambrosi is saying, how do we get this guy to Toronto? He's not tampering. I'm not saying that, but he's thinking this is for our league. How do we get this guy into Argo Colors? Anyway, Bubba O'Neill, always appreciate the time. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me, bud. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. About a week ago, two week, maybe two weeks ago, I don't know. It's summertime. Time flies. Begin to lose track. But anyway, it was a couple weeks ago, maybe, that we chatted on here about council's decision that they were facing because uh, with the election of Donna Skelly to the Queen's Park Legislature. Because when she was elected now, that means that between now and the time that the municipal election comes up in October, there is question about who is going to sit on city council as a Ward 7 councillor. She obviously, for practical reasons and legal reasons, cannot do both. You can't sit on council and be an MPP. So there were three things that came up, three ideas that came forward at city council as they began to work their way through this. And we talked about this in the show. If you remember, if you're a regular listener, some of you called in, I asked you for your thoughts. I asked for your opinions on what you thought was the best option. We got lots of feedback on that one that night. Lots of people had thoughts on this. So the three ideas were, we got to fill a seat by some provincial law that says you have to do that. Uh, The one idea was let's appoint somebody preferably somebody who has some experience on council because you've got to hit the ground running because it's, it takes a few months. Generally, you would think, at least we're told, to learn how to be a councillor, to how everything works around city, city Hall. So to choose someone who has no experience, plop them into that seat. Well, by the time council breaks to run for the election, that person would just maybe be getting up to speed and then they're done. So the idea was let's plop someone in, choose someone like they did with Bob Morrow when Bernie Morelli passed away, brought back Mayor Morrow. He sat in, he wasn't elected, but he was chosen. He fulfilled that time. That was one of the ideas. A second idea was that the second place finisher who finished second behind Donna Skelly when they had the by-election after Scott Duvall had left that seat, that let the second place finisher slide in and take over. Well, that caused the problems or that was the, the, the concern with that was the very reason I just said is that if you have someone who has no experience at City Hall, learning how to do it on the fly is very, very difficult. That was the concern there. And the third idea, which was put forward by Councillor Matthew Green, was that people from the public, and again, I hope I'm explaining this correctly, certainly my intent, but my understanding was that people from the public could basically apply for that position and council would interview them, have short five or whatever minute interviews, and then somebody would be chosen from that group to fill that spot. The difficulty with that, of course, is that you have no idea how many people are going to apply. And if the whole idea is for transparency and to be fair and to be consistent and to let everyone have a chance... You couldn't very well then whittle it down without giving everybody an interview. And what happens if you get 200 applications and you have to give everybody an interview? It, it becomes very, very cumbersome, I think. So those were the three ideas that were brought forward. Those were the three things that they were wrestling with. Today, this came back up, and that's all preamble, because today this came back up at City Council. They were trying to figure out what they're going to do with this Ward 7 empty seat that they are supposedly having to fill by provincial mandate. And they discussed, and they discussed, and they discussed. And eventually, they came to what I believe 
is an inspired answer. And as I said in the intro, we don't always say that council has come up with inspired answers. There are times credit where credit is due. We've said this many times on this show. When council does something great, we give them credit on this show for doing something that's great. If they do something smart, we give them credit for doing something smart. If they do something stupid, we call them on that too. We try to be fair about that. And I think in this one, some of the councillors who propose this idea are onto something and their idea is, let's just not fill the seat. We've got July, August, September, really, because October is going to be mostly campaigning. We've got three months in the summer when little happens, when there are few meetings, when no substantial, massive issues are expected to be on the table, when no one's even really, let's be honest, no one's really even paying all that close attention to City Hall. No one is going to be bringing forward, unless we're all caught completely off guard, no one is going to be bringing forward some massive project. LRT is now in a low boil. No one's going to really make any big decisions about LRT. We've got to wait and see what the Conservatives do with that. There's all kinds of things going on, but nothing's going to be big that happens. So let's leave the seat empty. Why go to any trouble whatsoever? Why bring someone in who doesn't know what they're doing yet? Why bring someone in as an appointee who may not be popular or may cause some people to say, well, they're being brought in only because their politics align with someone else's politics? Why have the whole trouble of going through all these interviews with people who want to apply? Just don't have anyone there. And here's the interesting part about this. When they asked the lawyer today around city council, because there is a provincial regulation that they do fill the seat, but they said, what happens if we don't? And the answer was, dunno. (laughs) So if there's nothing laid out in the guidelines, in the provincial regulations to lay out what happens if you don't, why not just ride it out? And if the province wants to really crack down on you, well, you know what? I'm not entirely sure that at this point with a brand new government that that is going to be at the top of their list of things. They don't even have a municipal affairs minister yet or an intergovernmental affairs minister. Who's going to be the one who's really going to crack down? Bill joins me on the line tonight. Bill, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm uh, condemning to tell you the truth. In reference to the topic that, uh, that's going, I agree with you and I agree with the city, except that the money that that counselor would have made, the office expenses that that counselor would have made, her wages, in this case it's her, uh, donate their wages to, let's say, the Jeopardy, the Homeless Society, Bill, uh, Bill, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go because your line is so bad. But I we can hear you, and I appreciate your comments. It's it's look, I don't mind that. Take the money that would have been paid there and put it towards something useful. Many would argue that simply the city is so far in debt that putting the money towards any kind of city costs would be useful. But Bill, I get your point. If if we're gonna it, for the, just to be clear, in case anyone thinks otherwise, not only is this money not going to Councillor Skelly at this point. But from the moment she was elected, she stopped taking a salary. So just so that's clear, because this is not money that is going into her pocket, just in case anyone thinks that. This is now money that will be sitting there. But again, why are we going to go to the effort to find someone to fill that spot, to pay somebody a percentage of a counselor's wages 
for doing something for such a short time that it's not going to be terribly impactful, that it's going to make very little difference. Let's just not go to the effort. This I'm on full, I'm in full agreement with the council on this, even though it may be dancing on the razor's edge of legality or not. I'm with them on this one. Frank joins me. Frank, how are you tonight? I'm fine. Uh, i got to turn this guy on the radio down here for a second. He's, he's kind of like uh, half sports, half business. You know, I'm a pretty good guy, though. Anyways, listen, Scott, uh, I'm, I'm with you all the way. Listen, as long as counsel, and don't rule this out, they don't ask for a raise because they're, they're, they're spreading it across, you know, well, no, the, the, they will not. First of all, they can't do that right now. They're not going to do that right now. The last thing, Frank, they're going to do right before a municipal election, when most of them are seeking re-election, is to do something that's going to completely tick off the electorate. That's not okay. That's not going to happen. I'm getting a little bit cynical here. No, no, and I understand cynical. that. And if this was two or three years out, if this was early in a mandate, oh, I agree maybe. with you. You know, you know what? This is a this is a proper business decision. It's called multitasking in the real in the real world. You know what I mean? When you have to conserve in order to save, uh, you know, profits, uh, so that you can gain gain more, uh, you know, you know, advancement in, in your in your business later. So this is what council's got to. Do. I'm sure that they would buy into this. That be absolutely right, Frank. Yeah, you, okay. Frank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Cool. Uh, look, I'm on board again. Same thing. I even though the government requires that you fill this seat within 60 days, I am not entirely sure that that particular piece of legislation was contemplating a situation like this where the municipal election is right around the corner and we are about to get rid of all these councillors anyway. I mean, some of them will be back, some of them will be reelected, but their term will end. I don't think that's what was anticipated. I think this was in place so that we had someone filling a seat if there was a year or two left in a council's mandate. Why are we going to go to this trouble? Why are we going to, why are we even fighting over this quite honestly if I'm Hamilton City Council, when the, when the law is completely unclear about what the repercussions are, I say, you know what we're going to do? We are not going to fill this seat. And when you come back and tell us what the penalty is going to be if we don't do it, then maybe if, if it's totally punitive, if it's going to cost the city, if it's going to cost us all of our funding or something, fine. But if you're not going to do anything about it, we're not going to spend our time wasting it on this one. We can get by for three months with one fewer counselor. We can do that. I applaud city council, at least those counselors who were on board with this, because this is, this is not trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. This is just common sense, logical thinking, and we applaud logical thinking from our politicians every chance we can get it. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.